Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Hey, good morning, New Covenant. So one of the tours that people love to take in Washington, D.C., if you've ever been there, it's a place called the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. It's where they make all of our money. Uh, And it's interesting that the number one question they get is, how do you keep counterfeits from coming in? So they really have a twofold job. One is to make it difficult to counterfeit the money, but number two is to be able to recognize counterfeits. And the answer that they give for how to recognize counterfeits is not actually to study counterfeit after counterfeit, because there's so many out there, and there's so many different groups and organizations that are trying to counterfeit money to make money, that they said, what we do is we study the real thing over and over and over again. Then when a counterfeit comes in, we recognize it right away, which is completely appropriate for where we're at in the book of Revelation. We are now in Revelation chapter 13, so we are getting to the latter half of the book of Revelation, and for the next two weeks, we will focus on two folks um, that we'll actually learn a lot from. If you noted the title of the sermon this morning, Beware of the Sinister and His Minister. The sinister is the Antichrist that we're going to take a look at, and his minister is the false prophet. So we are starting this week in Revelation 13, 1 through 10, and then we'll tackle 11 through 17 next week as we take a look at, or 18 as we take a look at the false prophet. So this week, if you would, as we take a look at the Antichrist, and believe it or not, there's going to be a lot to learn from him that's going to have very appropriate parallels to what's going on in 2023. Before I even have us read Revelation 13, let me make us aware of 1 John chapter 2 speaks of what we call Antichrists, little a. There are numerous false prophets, false gurus, Uh, false teachers, false ideologies that are popping up in society all around us that are paving the way for capital A Antichrist. If Satan can use the little Antichrist, the false teachers, the false religions, the false prophets, to get everybody ready to worship the ultimate Antichrist, he'll do everything he can to make that happen. Which is why, as believers in Jesus, we have to be aware of first and foremost, the truth. Do we know God's word? Do we know it well? Listen, I'm not picking on you and I'm not even saying New Covenant Church. I'm saying the church in general has gotten very wishy-washy in what it is willing to stand upon, what it is willing to preach, and even at times how we study. We have a hard time sometimes looking at Scripture and going, there actually is a right answer and a wrong answer to the interpretations of Scripture. And so we have allowed this idea of tolerance, we have allowed uh, the idea even of some of the new age philosophies and ideologies to creep into the church, and we have a hard time standing up for the word of God at times because we are being beaten down by a society and a culture that says you're just supposed to accept all things. As believers in Jesus, we know that he's the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father but by Him. We know that the way that He revealed Himself to us is through one book and one book only. However, we might even shy away from saying that at times because we're afraid of who it might push away. I have to continue to remind us that truth, by definition, is exclusive. There can only be one truth. So the question is, where does the preponderance of evidence point when it comes to truth? 
which is why I love studying the Word of God. I love studying the person of Jesus. There is nothing to be afraid of. There is no reason to hide. But Satan will come along and try to get you to believe that you should be allowed to believe whatever you want, act however you want, do whatever you want. In fact, he is completely content with you worshiping anything other than Jesus, even than, other than the truth of Scripture. So as we take a look at the Antichrist, the capital A, this morning, I also want to make us aware of what anti means. When we think of anti, we typically think of against, and that's true. The Antichrist is going to be against Jesus. But the Greek definition for anti here is actually better translated in place of. So the Antichrist is going to come and he wants to stand in place of the true Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at what, what can we learn from the coming Antichrist in regards to what's happening in our culture and in our society today. What should we be looking out for? I don't think we're going to be here when the Antichrist comes on the scene. If my eschatology, if my study of end times is correct, I think the church will be gone, which means that we need to live with a sense of urgency, knowing that Jesus could take us at any moment, even before the end of this service, and when he does, believers from all over the planet are going to be removed as well. The question is, what did we leave behind as far as a legacy of the gospel? Did we preach it so that those that did get left behind will remember some things that we told them? And then they'll get to see it come to fruition. If you would, would you just stand with me in honor of King Jesus? And we're going to read Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. And then when I get to the end of verse 10, feel free to plop back down. Revelation 13, beginning in verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Gang, you can have a seat. Thank you. One overarching idea that I don't want us to leave here without remembering is that we need to know the true Jesus by knowing the true gospel so that we won't get fooled by the fakes. If I could, let me repeat that. Know the true Jesus by getting to know the true gospel so that you won't be fooled by the fake. False Christs and false gospels abound. They are all over the place. This means that as men and women that love Jesus, as men and women that are following him, we have to know Jesus and know him well. We've got to know his word and we've got to know it well because satanic agendas and satanic religions 
are all over the place. Remember, Satan doesn't care if you're an atheist. All he cares is that you don't worship the true Jesus. So how do we keep from getting fooled by satanic agendas? Again, we're going to be dividing Revelation 13 into two sections. The first section is going to deal with that first beast that we just read about. He is the Antichrist. The second beast will be in verses 11 through 18, and we'll take a look at the false prophet, his minister that he will use. For now, these first 10 verses, they give us an overarching theme, but then there's also a warning, and it's only one that we're going to take a look at today, and then we're going to take a look at what we should learn from the warning. But the the first warning of two that we get, and we'll get the second one next week, is beware of satanic agendas. Beware of the satanic agendas that are rife in our society today. Satan's wicked agenda, it's being pushed in schools, it's being pushed in politics, it's being pushed on TV, it's being pushed through social media, and there's an endless array of ways that Satan is pushing his agenda. We'll get into what those agendas are in just a moment, but let me first say this. Unfortunately, if people hear it enough, they begin to believe it. Without questioning, Now, you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, pastor, you stand up there and you preach every week and you expect us to just believe something if we hear it enough. Actually, that's not true. Part of it's true. I do stand up here and preach week after week, but I would encourage you, whether it's me or it's somebody else in the pulpit or whether you go to church somewhere else or whether you listen to somebody online, question everything I say. Question everything they say and run it through the Word of God. It's interesting that in the book of Acts, there was a group called the Bereans who they knew the Old Testament and what they had of the New Testament well, to the point where even when Paul came on the scene, and undoubtedly Peter and the other apostles, when they said something, they would check everything they had with Scripture. And Paul, being an apostle who wrote a third of the New Testament, actually commended them for that and said, good for you. I want you to check everything I say. And make sure that it's coming from the Word of God. Because there will come a day where I will die and wolves dressed in sheep's clothing will begin to infiltrate the church. And I want you to be able to recognize and I want you to be able to deal with them right away. It is such a blessing and a privilege to be your pastor. September 18th will be a year. I have no idea if I'll make it to our one-year anniversary. I have no idea if I'll be here for another five or another ten or if we will get run out of Albuquerque prior to that or imprisoned or killed. We just don't know. But what I do know is that my hope and my prayer is if today was my last Sunday getting to preach to you all, that you all know the word of God so well that if a, if a wolf in sheep's clothing were to appear, you would recognize that wolf. And then you would have the gusto and the courage in Christ to deal with that. And that you would continue to follow Jesus no matter what comes your way. Now, all of that to be said, Satan's going to do everything he can to confuse you. He's going to do everything he can to confuse me, and we're going to see that in the Antichrist this morning. And we're going to see some of the things that Satan uses when it comes to the Antichrist to to deceive people. So let's take a look at those. There's quite a few of them this morning. We're going to break this down verse by verse. In verse 1, the first thing he says is, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. The first thing that we see is that Satan is going to use his evil ancestry, or actually the Antichrist is going to use his evil ancestry, which is derived from Satan. 
Now, if you go back to your Bibles, I'm guessing that most of you, for chapter 13, verse 1, the very first word that you have in your translation, I use the ESV, starts with the word and. The word and in the Greek is the word chi. It's what we call a coordinating conjunction. It's meant to bring two ideas, thoughts, teachings, or sentences together. So really the last verse in Revelation 12 and the first verse in Revelation 13 should be read together. And if you'll remember, verses and chapters in Scripture really didn't even come on the scene until about 550 A.D., and that was just for the sake of being able to categorize and find uh, places in Scripture a little bit easier. So really, this should be read as one sentence. And the reason that I bring all that up is that the last thing that we see in Revelation 12 is the dragon, Satan, standing on the sea. And then he calls the Antichrist to rise up out of the sea. Do you see where he is getting his empowerment from? It's an evil ancestry. Now, if I could tell you how this relates to 2023, there are all kinds of Antichrists that have popped up right now. There's false teachers in false religions. It's happening in kingdom halls of Jehovah's Witnesses. It's happening in temples of the Mormons. It's happening in the Baha'i faith. It's happening in Buddhist temples. Satan is using folks to lead other folks astray, lead them straight to hell based off what they're teaching and what they're preaching, and following a Messiah or a Savior that can't save them, following a God that can't save them, down a road leading them to a destination that they're going to discover they didn't ever want to be in because they reject, rejected the truth of the gospel. It's all a satanic agenda. The agendas that are coming our way into our own state, into our country, that have been in the world for quite some time, all find their roots in a satanic agenda. And Satan loves that he's got people confused. The other thing that he is going to do is he is going to work to do everything he can to make it difficult for you as a follower of Jesus to speak against anything that these antichrists and eventually the world ruling antichrist says. Anything that he can do to keep you quiet. We will get more into that in just a moment. As we begin to try to recognize the Antichrist, the first thing we need to recognize is that he's of Satan. Now, it says that he comes from the sea. The sea is representative of two things. One, it depicts the nations. Revelation chapter 20, verse 8 tells us that the sea represents nations. So he's going to come from the nations. Well, what nation is he going to come from? Well, Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 to 27, make it clear that he's going to come from Western Europe and most likely a revived Roman Empire. The other thing about the sea is that it oftentimes has to do with satanic activity, that it's Satan at work. Job chapter 26, verse 12, Psalm chapter 74, verses 13 and 14, also in Psalm chapter 89, and then in Isaiah chapter 27 we see the sea depicted with satanic activity. And then the sea also tells us of chaos and confusion. Satan is going to have the Antichrist come up out of the nations in a time of complete chaos and confusion. This leads to another reason why I think the church is going to be gone when the Antichrist comes on the scene. You want to talk about chaos and confusion? Remove every believer from planet Earth and let evil run rampant. Because right now, there are millions of believers spread across this planet. Others, brothers and sisters that love Jesus all across the world. And yet, have you noticed that we're still in a little bit of a mess? 
partially because believers across the world don't want to rock the boat. Let me encourage us for a minute. I can't do anything about any other church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the United States, or across the world. Can I ask that New Covenant would be a church that would be okay with rocking the boat? At least a little bit be okay with rocking the boat? Because this is what happens when we worship the Lord. We've got a large group that would say that you need to shut your mouth. In fact, it's very interesting, again, how the Antichrist is described. He's described with horns, so he's got ten horns, and said he's got seven heads and ten diadems on its horns. What in the world is that all about? Well, the ten horns, undoubtedly, from studying the book of Daniel and later in the book of Revelation, is going to be this ten-nation confederacy that's going to come together, most likely, again, out of Europe. And he's going to reign from one of those. And it says that there are going to be diadems that are on their heads, which means that these are going to be pretty powerful rulers. They're going to have some prominence and have some authority. And in, intermingled in that, we see these seven heads. Well, what are these seven heads that are being talked about? Well, it's undoubtedly, again, seven different empires that are talked about in the book of Daniel, the first being Egypt, then Assyria, then Babylon, then Medo-Persia, then Greece, the sixth being Rome. All of those went down, and then we read later in Daniel that there's going to be this revived Roman Empire. That will be the seventh empire that will rise up, and the Antichrist will undoubtedly come from that empire. And he's going to do it in the midst, in the midst of absolute chaos, which leads us to the second thing that we learn about the Antichrist in verse 2, and it says, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. The Antichrist is going to use his powerful authority to do some very wicked things. 2023, we live in the United States of America. Do we see Antichrists using their authority in wicked ways? so they can pave the way for the Antichrist. I don't think I even need to answer that question. We have now moved into a time where we no longer live in a society that says you must tolerate certain forms of evil. Now you have to celebrate it. And if you don't, you could be fined, you could lose your job, potentially be arrested, and depending on where you live at in the world, you could be killed. So it's no longer about tolerance. Now it's about you celebrate this or you will go down. And that is exactly the way the Antichrist is going to operate when he comes on the scene. Only it's going to be about a million times worse for those that refuse to bow down. Now it's interesting, in Daniel chapter 12, or I'm sorry, in Daniel chapter 2, we start to get these pictures of these kingdoms that are coming. We get, begin to get these pictures of Assyria and Babylon and Greece and Rome, but they depict it as beautiful metals. Remember the statue, the head of gold? And then as you go down the statue, there's silver, and then there's bronze, and then there's iron and clay. Mankind sees evil, wicked rulers and evil, wicked agendas as something beautiful, something that they gravitate towards. But then you fast forward to Daniel chapter 7, and you get perspectives on these same empires and this same Antichrist. And no longer are they described as precious and beautiful metals. Now they're described as ferocious beasts. God has allowed believers to see what's going on in the world for what it really is. 
So some of these agendas in our world that are pushed, that look beautiful, that even disguise their, themselves with love, with the word love. How many times have you seen the word love misused in our culture and abused and misdefined and used for all of the wrong reasons? And God in his mercy and his grace has revealed to us what true love really is and where that comes from. Well, look at verse 3. This one fascinates me, but it says, one of its heads seems to have a mortal wound. Well, one of the heads is going to be the Antichrist. He's going to be one of the rulers. And the whole earth marveled. I'm sorry, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. It says, one of the heads seems to have a mortal wound. He's going to use his supernatural ability to lead people astray. When we talk about spiritual warfare and demonic activity, I think we have gotten too clouded by what we've seen on Hollywood and watching too many movies on the supernatural because the supernatural world is real. God existed in eternity past. In some time in eternity past, he created angels to worship him. Sometime in eternity past, some chose to worship him and some chose to reject him. That's why Satan was thrown from heaven along with a third of the angels. This is as real as can be. The angelic world, the demonic world, is just as real as the physical world, which is why sometimes we see things happen that we can't quite explain. I don't doubt that there are people that are tapping into supernatural things, getting involved in satanic things, that are able to do some things that seem supernatural, and then people follow those gurus. There was a guy not long ago over in India who claimed to be a reincarnated Christ. And he would sit in a Hindu position and then begin to levitate, at least supposedly. I don't know what, is, what was real and what was not. He would do things where he would make it look like uh, ashes were coming from his fingers and that he could actually start fires on his own. Is it possible that this man was possessed and actually able to do some supernatural things? I bring all that up because I'm not sure that the Antichrist actually dies and rises from the dead. The word in verse 3 where it says one of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, the word seemed is the Greek word has, which could literally be translated as if. So I don't know that he actually dies. The verbiage that's used would make me think that it's a fake resurrection and that it's kind of a sleight of hand. Regardless, either way, he's trying to mimic Jesus, and he's trying to convince others that he is more powerful than Jesus, or that he even could be another Jesus that has come on the scene. How do we make sure that we don't get fooled by the fakes? Did you know that if you study cults, there's typically one of two ways that someone gets involved in what we would call a cult. One, they are born into it. Or two, they had some form of religion that they were involved in, but never got a solid grounding in the word. I have discovered that to be true over and over. How do we keep that from happening? Well, what's our mission statement at New Covenant? If I put you to a test, let's see how many of you would pass. Know Jesus and make him known. Is our, and our, our vision is to treasure Jesus above all else. Our mission is to know Jesus and make him known. The more I get to know Jesus and the more I get to make him known, the less I'm going to get fooled by the fakes that are out in the world today. Let me have you look at the people that Satan is going to be able to fool. They're in verses 4 and 8. 
Revelation 13, 4 and 8. Verse 4, and they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Verse 8 says, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. He's going to use gullible admirers to worship him. The Antichrist is not going to be content just with the power that he gets. He wants worship. C.S. Lewis said it well, but you are a worshiping creature. Do you know that? We are all worshiping creatures. We were made to worship. Don't want us also to forget that all sin finds its root in one place. It's misplaced worship. Every sin we commit is found in misplaced worship. If I cave to pornography, it's because I'm worshiping sex more than I'm worshiping Jesus. If I cave to cheating on my taxes, it's because I worship greed more than I worship Jesus. If I treat you like garbage or I say something nasty to you just because I feel like it, I'm worshiping myself more than I'm worshiping Jesus and then loving on people that are made in his image. Well, it goes on in verses 5 and 6. It says, And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. He's going to use his prideful arrogance to draw people away. Have you noticed that arrogance runs rampant in our society? People that want to put themselves in the place of God. I've had many people look at me before when I share the gospel with them and I tell them that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. They look at me and they go, well, you're arrogant because you say you have a monopoly on the truth. You know there's everything there is to know about God in order to tell me that there should only be one God that I should worship one Bible that I should read. To which I would remind them that the only way that you can tell me that that's not true is if you were everywhere present in the universe and knew everything about God, to know that God is not the one who wrote Scripture and he's the one that spoke all things into existence and made himself known in the person of Jesus. So let me remind us that it's not about being arrogant. It's not about knowing it all. It's about introducing people to the one that does know it all. And how do we know that he's the true God? If you were on a jury... And you were to either render a verdict of guilty or not guilty about a man that's on trial for murder. And depending on the verdict that you render, this man is either going to go free or he is going to go to the gas chamber. How do you make your decision? That's actually not a rhetorical question. How would you make that decision? Based on the evidence. Based on the preponderance of evidence, this is what I absolutely love about the scriptures. This is what I love about the 66 books of the Bible that we read. This is exactly what I love about the Jesus that was prophesied over a thousand years before he came and fulfilled every single one of those prophecies perfectly. This is exactly what I love about the book that we read written by apostles and prophets that have been proven to be true over and over again. This is what I love about the book that we read that has been verified by over 25,000 different archaeological digs and sites 
insights. This is what I love about the book that we read that was a light years ahead of its time in the areas of science when it came to things like hydraulics, when it came to things like gravity, when it came to things like creation in general and a moral law and why we follow a moral law and where that moral law comes from. That's the exciting stuff about what we read because we can know without a doubt that the preponderance of evidence points to the facts of God's word points to the truth of Jesus Christ being God in flesh, points to the truth of him rising again from the dead and gives us great hope in the truth that he really is going to come again, just like he said he is. That's exciting stuff. That's the Jesus that we all worship. Now, verse 7 goes on to say, also it was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. He's going to use brutal activity. He is going to come hard after God's chosen ones. Now, I want to note something. In verses 5, 6, and 7, there are the words given, the words allowed, a time frame of 42 months. You read allowed again in verse 7. You read given it in verse 7. Don't ever miss the fact that regardless of how bad things get, Regardless of what the antichrists around us and the eventual antichrist does, God is sovereign. That's a big word for God is on the throne. God is completely in control. No one can thwart his plan. Remember, if somebody could have thwarted God's plan, you'd think they would have done it by now. Egypt was about as big an empire as you get. And you all know what happened to Egypt? They came tumbling down. Then Assyria followed and looked even stronger. Go all the way down to about A.D. 90 to Rome, when Rome finally has its collapse. It collapses not long after that. In A.D. 70, it destroys God's temple. It destroys God's chosen people. And it's not long after that that Rome itself goes down to never again exist, well, at least not for a couple thousand years until it gets revived again, but only for a very short time. And then God will take down that nation once and for all completely. Now let me just finish this out, if I could, uh, with verse 10. I'm sorry, verses 9 and 10. In verse 9 it says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Verse 9 is another reason why I don't think the church is going to be here when the Antichrist comes on the scene. Here's why. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, seven times, it says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All of a sudden, once again, from Revelation 6 up to Revelation 19, we never hear the word church used again. And I think that's because we're in heaven. Now again, there are many that love the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I could be wrong. Maybe we will be here during the tribulation. I'm praying I'm not. I'm such a wuss. I'd really rather not be here. If we are, we aren't going to have a whole lot of time to tell people about Jesus because we aren't going to last very long. We will probably be beheaded pretty quick. If we're not here and we get raptured out of here, we don't have very long. So we need to be telling as many people as we can about Jesus. If we don't live to see the rapture, we're going to die some other way. And that's not going to be very long. So if you didn't hear the theme in all three of those, our time is short, just like the time of Satan is growing short. So therefore, may we have as much or more urgency than Satan. Because right now he is pushing his agenda and he is pushing it hard because he knows his time is running short. 
But listen, as believers, our time here on this planet is short. Now, we are not really fighting against time, because guess what? As believers in Jesus, you all know what you get? Eternity. I can't wait. That is going to be a blast. Now, I know immediately some of the thoughts that come into your head. That means I'll have to put up with certain people for all of eternity? No, you're not going to put up with them. You're going to be blessed to be with them. Because all of those nasty nuances that you can't stand and all of those preferences that you have that drive you nuts are no longer going to drive you nuts. You know why? We're going to be so overwhelmed by the majesty of Jesus. We're going to be so overwhelmed by the glory and the awesomeness of Jesus that nothing's going to distract us. Now, I want to stop there and say this. What if, as people of Jesus right now, we were so focused on the glory and the majesty and the awesomeness of Jesus that virtually nothing else affected us? Think of all the times that you've ever said, that person makes me so mad. Or that person broke my heart. Don't get me wrong, I understand. We were created as beings that have feelings, we have a will and we have a volition. But I'm trying to learn more and more as time goes by to not get too high and happy on things that are temporal and not to get too low and sad over things that are temporal. But let the things that are of eternity be the things that occupy my mind the most. Let it be the things of eternity that overwhelm me the most, that those are the things that I can't stop thinking about, that those are the things that I can't stop dreaming about that I just can't wait to be with Jesus in heaven and I can't wait to see other people in heaven with him because people that love Jesus couldn't shut up about Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if we were the church that couldn't shut up about Jesus? That would be fantastic. I would love, just love to hear people in our community say, man, New Covenant doesn't do anything but talk about Jesus all the time. All I do is talk about Jesus. All I do is serve Jesus. What a great way to be known by the community. I would love that. I hope and I pray that the more we spend time together on Sundays, I would encourage you, Wednesday nights, we're going to be firing back up our equip courses on Wednesday nights. That is geared at helping us know why we believe what we believe. How do we speak into the culture we speak into? When we fire that back up that first Wednesday night in September, I would love to have you all there with us for 12 weeks as we study through what is happening in our culture. How do we bring the gospel into it effectively? I would love it if we walked away from those times together. I'd love it if you walked away from youth ministry, if you're a youth, men's ministry or women's ministry, if you're in one of those ministries, walked away saying, man, I love Jesus even more as a result of the time that we just had together. Let me spend a moment, let me just pray for us. I want to pray that we become a church that treasures Jesus above all else. And then we're going to continue to treasure him and remember him as we get ready to take communion. So let me pray for us if I could. Lord Jesus, thank you for our time together. Lord Jesus, it's you that we treasure above all else. And Lord, as we've seen this week and as we'll continue to see next week, we have a real enemy that not only wants to come up against you, but Lord, wants to stand in your place. And so Lord, when we have enemies that try to do just that, would you continue to impress upon our hearts the truth? Would you continue to allow our little hearts and our little minds to remember and understand what your word has revealed to us about who you are. We are so thankful that your word tells us exactly where we came from. 
We are so thankful that your word tells us why we are here, to bring you glory and honor. We're thankful that your word tells us what has gone wrong with the world and the mess that we are in. And we know that, Lord, it's because of sin. It is not a money issue or a health care issue. Ultimately, Lord, it is a sin and spiritual issue. But, Lord, we are so thankful that you didn't just show us the hell that we deserve, but instead, Lord, you gave us the pardon from it, and you came as the person of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we are so thankful that it answers our last big question, where are we going to be when all of this is said and done? And you have made clear that for those that have followed you, Jesus, we get to be with you forever in heaven. We so look forward to that day. Until then, may we continue to bring you honor and glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.